Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So welcome to another edition of On the Continent, your one-stop place for all things to do with European football. We've got a cracking conversation for you today. I'm Dotton Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. Yeah, and in case anybody was wondering who rules the Champions League waves, well, I can tell you it's not France. And it's not Spain either. So leave the gunboats at home and let's talk football. It's an all-English Champions League final. Also, Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. We'll hear about the latest chapter, or should that be libretto, in this Italian opera. And finally, we've got some games of the week for you, but we'll have a look at the, uh, the big names in Spain as well. So let's start with what is, uh, it's not gunboat diplomacy, but PSG versus Man City, second league of the semi-final of the Champions League. Looked as if it would be one of those Henry V moments, you know, cry Henry or battle or gunboats for England, God and Harry. Etc. You know what I'm talking about, Nikki. Are we are we still including Harry there, or is he now no longer? Oh, I like it. I um, like it. I, mean, I have like no actual sort of royal knowledge, so I'm sort of just vaguely aware that he's been at the middle of a big saga. I genuinely, like, really, that whole thing passed me by. Um, it was, it was a. I feel like as a spectacle, it wasn't quite the semi final that I hoped it was going to be. I think I hoped it was going to be something. Um, bombastic and explosive in a footballing sense. Obviously, it was explosive in a um, 
in a tension sense, certainly for, for PSG, who didn't seem to be able to keep a lid on things. It was hugely impressive from, from Manchester City. I think that the, the quality that you saw and, and the gulf between them, and I think especially in the second leg where there wasn't even that threat of Neymar, of um, Mbappe to go with Neymar, um, the, the gulf felt, um, again, really striking, very impressive from City. I think... Um, because of course we're on the continent, we don't want to just talk about the English clubs. I, I think the, the the PSG side of it, it really brought home how uneven, and it's not a new thought, but just how uneven that that squad is. Because there is some genuine magic in there, and perhaps I am too often wearing my Italian hat, whatever my Italian hat would look like. Um, and but I, I was spellbound by Verratti, even still at points in this game. There were points when he was sort of getting on on the ball and rolling the ball under his foot between um oh, was it um, Mares and Gundogan in midfield and just sort of doing this little spin away from them both and I just thought the kid has he has that um that magic about him and and reminded me of a conversation I had actually with um Renzo Oliveri who's the head of the coaching school at Covercano the famous manager school and he talked about how football and modern football is um is all about principles and those principles when you get into it they're not broad, simple principles that you can write neatly in an article is what I found out. You know, it's it's the principle of, of what you do in those moments. You know, you have, as he boiled it down, you know, three basic choices. You can, um, well, two really, you can have the, uh, you can move the ball on by passing it or you can try to beat the man yourself. And I thought that Verratti is one of those players who I, I love watching because I think that he makes those decisions in split second time so well now, mm. so, so well. And I think you can go through that PSG squad and you can pull out all kinds of players doing that. And I think there's a core, obviously, that are such intelligent footballers, such smart footballers, Neymar, Verratti, um, Di Maria, obviously. I think Kayla Navas is really one of the best keepers in the world now. I think he's really impressed me. But I look at fullback and I see another Italian, Florenzi, and I think you weren't good enough for Roma. Like, why Why are you starting a Champions League semi-final? It, it feels like a more sort of intense version of, of when... Arsenal on a Champions League run with um, Flamini at fullback. It's like you sh- you don't belong in this in this group of of high quality. And there's actually an argument that he's their best fullback as well. <laughs> well, there you go. I, th- I think that's that's it. I, I think that, that hits the nail on the head, really. And um, I think firstly we have to say that despite the fact that Paris Saint Germain were well beaten and that Manchester City deserved to go to the final eventually, um, the PSG weren't terrible in this. No, they, they, they were really, really good in the first half of the first leg. I thought they started the first half really well in Manchester as well. And sometimes, I know when we sit here analysing it all, we don't want to talk about luck or it seems like counterintuitive to look about talk about luck. But the way that that first goal arrived, the way that the spin on the deflection on the De Bruyne's shot sort of completely confused Kimpembe and all of a sudden he's like, oh, actually my body wants to go in one direction but my legs are going in the other and then Mahrez reacts really quickly and, 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 and puts it away. I mean, that is something that's quite difficult to recover from. I think we'll maybe come to the emotional side of how they dealt with it or didn't deal with it mm. in the second half of both those games. I thought when you were doing the intro, Dot, and you were going to talk about Pochettino as being a sort of Lady Macbeth with blood all over his hands that he can't get off. <laughs> well, because I'm... it felt a little bit like that, didn't it? 
Yeah, I wouldn't put that on him, not Lady Macbeth. No, 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 that's too harsh. But you, you make a point, though. It seemed like a Shakespearean tragedy, though, the second half, which we'll come on to in a moment. What about what Nikki said in passing? She mentioned the lack of Mbappe there. How much did that affect PSG? It's enormous, because yeah. I think if you see in the first half, when they're getting the ball into the Manchester City half, um, Di Maria, who in both games is the player who can break the lines better than any other player that PSG have got. He's still got that pace. He's still so smooth on the, on, on the ball and can, can dribble and can change pace. He's looking for that pass outside for Mbappe to make the run. Mm. And you've got Abdou Diallo, who's a centre half playing at left back, mm. pegging it to, to, to make up the run. And I suppose this is what happens when you put all your eggs in one basket. Because what you were saying about the versatility of Manchester City, about how much depth there is, they've never gone out and spent, clearly they've spent a lot of money, but with similar resources, they've never gone out and spent even 100 million on a player, let alone 200 million. I mean, they've got, Paris Saint-Germain have got two 200 million players in their team if you balance it out bet- bet- between them, 180 versus 220. So you're by definition heavily reliant on those two players it's closer to the Real Madrid Galacticos model in Florentino Perez's first spell of the Bernabeu than it is to anything that Manchester City or Bayern Munich have done and in terms of that the Manchester City approach looks a lot more sensible so when people are talking about will City go out this summer and buy Harry Kane or make an offer to Dortmund that they can't refuse uh, for uh, Erling Haaland. Why would they? Mm-hmm. Just like they're fine as they are, wait for the Erling Haaland clause to kick in in 2022. And then he becomes more of a Manchester City signing, you know, in that sort of 60, 70, 80 million bracket and then throw all the wages at the, uh, in the world at him. But how Paris Saint-Germain rebuild from here, and that's what Mbappe and... Neymar and especially Mbappe actually want to know that they know that Paris Saint-Germain can meet their financial obligations. They know they can continue to provide them with trophies. But Mbappe has said all along, he knows what the contract is. He said, show me the project. I think if something makes him stay at Paris Saint-Germain, is that the project is nowhere else out there. That Real Madrid aren't in the best position at the moment to attract him, to build something sustainable around him because clearly they've got their own reconstruction issues as, as we'll come to in a bit. This, Look, I'm sorry. A, there's a line which um, was from Lekeep, but I will admit that I read it in The Athletic. So it's um, two steps removed now to get to me, but it's a great line, which was City making signings in um, service of the project. So in service of mm. Pep Guardiola's vision, um, PSG makes signings, sorry, at PSG the signings are the project like that's that's the yeah. thing, that's it like that's yeah. the idea the idea is these signings and this comes back though to the manager situation i think it's been um you know they've, they've had some really good managers there and some of those managers you know likes happening at chelsea at the moment they go on and it's like oh no wait tuchel is actually a really smart coach you can quite quickly get a team into the service of his idea and it hasn't happened but the resources are better right aren't they and but that's the playing resources. I suppose this better. is the philosophical question that I sort of have in my head about it. Like, do you need to, as an ownership, and again, PSG have been in consecutive Champions League semi-finals, so what they're doing is not failing, right? Like, this is a pretty successful project overall. 
But if you want it to be something more, do you have to make a decision as a club to do what Man City have done in effect and say, no, here's our manager and we're going to stick by him regardless for a while. And that way you can actually build a project that is more than just we're going to make big signings. And the other thing is they've been like slightly more diverse in their approach to finding players. So, you know, it's a point that's been made in France in the in, in the days since it's, it's finished. The fact that City's out, outstanding player, Ruben Dias, and when do, when do PSG shop in Portugal? Mm. You, you know, the, the, the fact is because they don't have what they would call a uh, cellule de recruitment there. They don't have like a whole recruitment department at, 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 at PSG. No it's need basically, to translate recruitment. We got that. But. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's, basi- it's basically Leonardo and his Italian assistant. So where they go shopping? They go shopping in Serie A. And, you know, do they need to be a little bit more diverse? And actually, this summer, can they afford to go shopping in in Serie A, if, if they re-sign Mbappe and Neymar, they're going to have to get themselves in a position where either to bring players into the first-team squad or to create a transfer budget, they need to use the Youth Academy much better than they've done before. Because, you know, it's such an incredible producer of players, the whole Ile-de-France mm-hmm. region, and they've not made the most of that. But there may be an answer to this, and I just don't know it, but why do they need to balance the budget now? Does it matter? Yeah, they've lost a lot of money, the same as everyone but, else. But do they care? Fi- financial that's, that's financial fair play is still a, a thing. Is it? <laughs> Just for the for the moment it is. Maybe it maybe it won't be in a mm. year or so, but in, in, in terms right. of yeah. like producing something for next season, then it definitely is. And the wages that they pay are, are prohibitive. Mm. You know, there needs to be some balance somewhere. I, I think that you both hit the nail on the head so many times. You know, what Andy said earlier on about uh, the players, these two players are the project. How easy then is there, is it to recreate or rebuild when actually the problem is the players that you've already purchased at a very high price? It's not going to be possible to change that and to to follow the Manchester City model, and which they don't is more want collegiate. They don't, they don't want it before the Qatar World Cup in 2022 Mm. for Mm. Qatari ownership to go into that World Cup in front of the world and say we've got Mbappe and Neymar that's what they want that's what they want I I mean the the balance may not be incidental to Pochettino and I have to say in terms of the job that Pochettino's done and I I think we can um, say quite clearly that even if they don't win the league from here he'll still be there next season because the job that he's done in getting them to the semi-finals of the Champions League, in taking over a squad that's not his own, with no preparation, with no time to work. They've knocked out Barcelona, who are better than we all thought they were. They've knocked out Bayern. And they gave Manchester City a really good game, even if they didn't finish Mm -hmm. them off in the end. There's plenty in there to say Pochettino has done a very, very canny job so far. But it will be difficult to build on that. But he may not even win the French League. It's true. You know that he was brought there for a reason. He may come out with no trophies. That would be for, embarrassing for now. Yeah, for, now. for now, for now. I mean, it's it's really about what they do long term in the in, in the Champions League, medium term, I suppose you should say, with head coaches. But really, performances build towards trophies. 
And, you know, that's what they've done. And I think that there's not been an overreaction in France to them going out to Manchester City. Not the overreaction that some of their players had, for example. Mm-hmm. But I think there's there's a sense of, you know what? They got to the final last season. They got to the semi-final again. And it's a cup competition. Shit happens. You, you know, I, I think there's an understanding of that. You know, you were saying earlier, Nicky, that, you know, you didn't want to sort of preempt the fact that we necessarily have to talk about... English teams in this uh, because this is on the continent. And yet two English teams are now in the final. What does that say both about our league and the opposition? I think um, we were talking a little bit just before we came in about um, about the Super League again, because of course we're going to talk about the Super League again. Can't get rid of it. Um, I was actually sort of referencing it in just the sort of broader idea. I do think a lot of these big, bigger clubs in Europe, certainly Juventus, and I think it goes for the Spanish clubs as well, do look at the fact the Premier League continues to get richer and that their domestic leagues aren't able to, I mean, they've all actually, for the most part, continued to experience growth domestically as well, but can't keep up that same pace of growth the Premier League has had in terms of its revenues. And I don't think um, this trend is going away. I think English clubs are richer and they will continue to do better in Europe Overall, that doesn't mean year to year that you're going to have two Premier League clubs in the final every season. No. I think there's still such small margins between these clubs. And last year, Bayern Munich were clearly the best team in Europe without being richer than Man City or indeed PSG. And I think this season, it looks to me like Man City are clearly the best team in Europe. We'll find out whether or not they beat Chelsea. But there's still, I think those two things can sit together. There can be a trend, and there is a trend that money talks and the Premier League has more of it but that doesn't mean that it's just English clubs winning it forever and I do think it needs to be said over and over again in this end of the season this last season has been weird it's been really weird there's no fans everyone is completely shattered because they've done effectively like a full season and a half with no break it's an odd season and next season may already look very different just because things start to get a bit more normal. Yeah, and injuries have influenced this Champions League, whether it be mm. Lewandowski, whether it be Mbappe. They've, they've had a huge difference. I, I don't think you can get away from that. But good planning can help you. I mean, if you look at like Bayern nearly knocked out PSG without Gnabry, Lewandowski, mm. Goretzka, like a, a ton of players that would sink any other team and they were still a whisker from from knocking them out, really. Um, so I do think it does come back to planning. Of course, where the Premier League has really made its financial muscle count is with the coaches. And I, I think, you, you know, you look at Thomas Tuchel, who, I mean, it was a, a personality rather than a performance issue that saw Paris Saint-Germain got rid of him. And, you know, you, you look, he's picked up that team, a few little tweaks, that squad, a few little tweaks, and away they go. You know, they've looked, I think, more impressive than anyone, Chelsea, on the, on the way to the final. And what they did to Real Madrid, I said it on the ramble earlier, they did to Real Madrid exactly what they'd done to Atletico Madrid. They looked stronger than them, they looked faster than them, they looked better than them in every meaningful way, despite the fact that Edouard Mendy made a couple of really good early saves, and what a sensible signing he's been, by the way. Um, just think in terms of planning versus just money we've seen the shortcomings of Real Madrid here that intrinsic quality has kept them afloat in the Champions League probably for a little bit longer than they should have been this season but 
in that moment, Chelsea did to them what I thought Liverpool would do to them in that they looked that bit sharper than them, that bit more full of vigour and life than them. And Chelsea were, were that. I mean, there's no doubting the quality of those players for Madrid in the past and that they've still got. But are they quite elite anymore? Are they an elite team anymore? I, I don't know whether they are. And that is something that you've got to lay at the president, Florentino Perez, and you've got to lay it at Zidane, who's really failed to integrate some of those signings that they've made. And especially now when budgets are limited, you know, the, the players who he's, you know, only been forced to play, like Eda Militao when there's been a ton of injuries, or Audrey Zola, he's said, you know, I don't care if he costs 30 million. I'm not into him. Young players like Asensio, who he's not taken to the next level. You would have thought maybe Vinicius and Rodrigo would be a little further on. And you think, really, for a Real Madrid team, and I know Zidane, he almost comes from that Juventus results above everything culture, you know? I think you look at that, and if you stop Benzema, you've, you've stopped Real Madrid. It's, it's that simple. Where's your guy who creates the magic? In that in that team, it's Benzema. I mean, Modric sometimes, mm. but I mean, I actually have to say, I think this season, not that he hasn't impressed me plenty in the past, but I almost felt this season beyond any other season, Benzema has made me just draw on the floor a lot. Like mm. I think he's been so good, um, and of course, the goal he scored in the first leg was so good, and he's just he's a, he's a magnificent striker who perhaps hasn't always had as much um, love for that as he could have done. I've been converted by Mina Rizuki as well as another um, great journalist. Um, but um, I think uh, the team is definitely in that place, um, which you sort of talked about there, Andy, of, of being at this end of an era. And I think there was even sort of some some of the sort of things that players have, have said about how Zidane has spoken to them this season, that, you know, this might be your last go around to do this together. Like Gosh. this might be the last chance to get this group to do this thing mm. and it sustained them to a certain point and I think they are a slightly opposite story to PSG for me in that sense in that PSG are just all about the Neymar Mbappe Verratti like core of I guess there are Galactiques instead of Galacticos yeah. <laughs> whereas strangely Madrid it's they were once Galacticos but now it's just the sort of connection they have the the bonds that they have that kept this team going further than perhaps it should have done it's interesting because I think you presented completely the opposite side of this as to how I'd been thinking I was thinking Zidane has done a good job to keep those players able to keep doing something especially when I think back to the beginning of this season and losing twice to Shakhtar in the group stage and I just thought this is done like this lot are finished but it depends whether you're talking about right yeah, now or a year's time exactly. or two years' time, doesn't it? Mm. Sounds like there's something more fundamental to deal with here. If 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 we're saying that, you know, Premier League has got most of the money and arguably you hinted at this, Andy, that we've got oh, the Premier League has got all the best coaches in the world or the majority of the best coaches in the world, etc. It seems like the the rebuilding isn't just about the teams. The rebuilding is about those the structures of those leagues and how they compete with the dominance of the Premier League yeah, in particular. It's, it's about it's about working smarter. It's you know it's never just been all about the money. But I guess the question is now, when you look at Real Madrid and Juventus's aims, particularly coming out the back of the Super League project, is their aim sporting excellence or is it? to have the same amount of money as the teams I, I, that are in the Premier League. I was thinking more about PSG. 
because PSG are in a league now that is struggling financially, perhaps has yeah. you know, the, the the biggest financial hole to fill 100%, in, in, yeah. in, in Europe. And where can they go from that? If, if the league they're in has been weakened, surely, and it is back to that argument of the European Super League, uh, leagues or national leagues are based on a kind of a pyramid mm-hmm. system. And yeah. it's important to ensure that the base of that pyramid is strong. But PSG w- could be at the top or second from the top of a, a very sort of weak foundation. Yeah, I think I want to really stress here because I was only brought up before. I am not pro European Super League. I'm delighted that it failed. But I think that the, the question that you're sort of hinting at there is exactly why it came to be suggested. Clearly, PSG weren't even involved in it. And I think the fact that PSG weren't involved in it speaks to their reality as a club. Mm. They're not really trying to be sustainable or or something um, organic. They have Qatari owners who wanted to have something that would allow them to do nice things for their reputation internationally ahead of the World Cup, exactly as Andy said. And they can afford to spend their money and do that. And that is how that club exists right now. Whether that will be forever, I suppose that depends on, on their ownership's long-term desire to maintain that brand builder. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And here's one that Nicky never saw coming. Jose Mourinho. What? Into winning the title. <laughs> Come on, let's not sweep that under the carpet. Stop. I actually predicted that at the start of the season. It's on video at ESPN. Yes, it's indeed. it's a fact. 
Yeah. This is where digital fingerprint is very important. Exactly. A digital footprint is very important. I got mocked important. for it. Did, did, you, did you think Inter would win it this comfortably? No, no, not at all. And I've been saying that a lot, I feel like, in the last few weeks. Like, people are, and it's almost double now because Mourinho's come along and stolen the narrative in two days' time. I feel like people are sort of treating this Inter title now like, oh, well, of course they won the title. Look at it. They've been in front for, for the whole second half of the season. Everyone else has dropped off. Nobody, nobody was saying even like three months ago, oh yeah, Inter are going to take 41 points from the next 45 and just mm. draw two games and that's it. They've been brilliant. They've been relentless. They've been this personification this embodiment of Antonio Conte which is what his teams always seem to end up being where they just start rolling over everybody with force of will and it's been really really impressive it's the end of nine years of consecutive Juventus titles and even if the world has I feel like perhaps again because of the timing gone a bit oh yeah of course trust me in in Milan for Inter fans this was a huge moment of release. I mean, I think it's the third longest they've ever gone between titles, actually. So big, big moment. So uh, the thing that really struck me afterwards, Nikki, is Antonio Conte, who doesn't seem to have a party head, generally. (laughs) He's someone who's, right, this is what I want to do next. I don't care if it's inappropriate. Let's let's not enjoy it. (laughs) Let's, you know, let's let's look at what we're going to do next. I'm going to need these 10 signings. I mean... He seemed so much more mellow than I've ever seen him in any title celebrations. He said, "Yeah, let's let's make the most of the moment. Let's not think about what comes next." Is he saying that because because he doesn't know what's happening? Well, no one really knows what's happening with Suning. Will they not only not be able to go and buy six new players, but will they be able to hold on to Lukaku, Lautaro? Even though globally, the fact that there are relatively few suitors out there because no one's got any money potentially helps them. We know what Suning are trying to do in terms of either getting an investor or or cut budgets. Is he maybe looking at this because he fell out so spectacularly with the owners and there seemed to be this kind of acquiesce because of what was going on at Juventus? I think there's part of Conte that thought let's put our differences to one side because this is our chance to go and win the league this season because of what's happening, particularly post the appointment of Pirlo. Is it the fact that he's genuinely changed or is it the fact that maybe even Antonio Conte thinks, well, maybe this is it for me at Inter? I I I do think I was on this podcast earlier in the season starting that sort of um, conversation around... um, suddenly there were these videos of like, here's Antonio Conte with his pinball machine. This is how I relax when I'm not <laughs> being a football manager. There's been this rebrand that's been building for, for a bit this season. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, like him driving a golf buggy around the training ground and stuff. There's been this odd rebrand of Conte um, during this season and his press conferences have become more mellow. There's still relative terms here because he's still Antonio Conte, but I don't know, honestly. I think there could be all sorts of things that feed into that. Always, again, things we were talking about just before we came in. Footballers and coaches are real people. This last year has changed a lot of people. I don't know if being sort of stuck at home changes your perspective on life a little bit and you look around and go, you know what, I don't need to be mad all the time. I don't know if the way that this has happened, the fact that he has 
orchestrated this triumph in this second year has just taken some of the tension out for him, whether mm. there comes a point in your life, which I think lots of us have this to greater or lesser extents that you reach a point in your life where you start to feel less like you're doing your work because you have something to prove and more because you're enjoying it and um, you just like doing. I think it seems ridiculous to say it because of course he'd already won the title three times events. He'd won so much in his playing career. He'd gone to England and won with Chelsea, but it's certainly conceivable to me that he's been someone who's lived with this tension of having to prove himself for a long time. And maybe he's sort of woken up one morning and gone, actually, you know what? I'm no longer no one can doubt me anymore like um, actually like i have i have earned this place and and now i can start making about what i want rather than just sort of proving some point to somebody it it does feel as well as if he really enjoys the atmosphere into mm. i mean i know i know it's easy to say about a, a squad that's just won the league but you know he is composed to his specifications he went heavy on the experience and it seems to me that he enjoys the company of damian and Ashley Young and Lukaku, especially mm. players like that, players with experience, players with maturity. There seems to be a level of trust there that he didn't have maybe in even with some of the players in his great Juventus side. Yeah, I, I do think it's, I mean, look, Lukaku is, this was talked about um, at the time of the signing, he's a player he wanted pretty much all through his coaching career. Yeah. Like he's this one singular player. And I do think there's such a, um, a beauty in that in this title for me I think it's such a beautiful thing for Lukaku I love that Lukaku um, was sharing these videos of himself like he went first of all he's when because the, the title got sealed to step back for a moment with a draw between Sassuolo and Atalanta and the day after they beat Crotone yes yeah. the day after Inter won against Crotone and then like Lukaku sharing videos of himself in his apartment in Milan, seeing Campiones at the window. And at some point he was obviously like, this won't do. And he gets into his car and then he's being driven around Milan and he's standing out the sunroof and he's doing it. And he's got fans literally like saying, you're a god. And he's going, thanks bro. Like in Italian, grazie bro. Like it's such a, it's such an amazingly organic moment. You think I loved that... the FaceTime call with Adriano. Yes. That was, that was wonderful. Saying, what happened? I well, missed us. Uh, he's like, well, you're into royalty. I love you. And, uh, you know, now, now, now you're royal. vibing with me. I, lo- <laughs> I, I, I love it. It's, it's really quite wonderful. And Adriano's got this great look of joy on his face as well. Like, I just, I think Lukaku is such a... When the story of this title is written, it's going to be all about Conte. And rightfully, because he is probably the singular figure who's done the most to transform it. But... I just think Lukaku's career, he's been a really, really top level. And it's hard to find the words that express it right, because top level can mean a lot of things like it can sort of not categorise high enough almost for Lukaku. Mm. I think he's been one of the best strikers in the world Mm. for a while. Um, And he hasn't won the thing. And now he has. And I think that synergy, for want of a better word, between Conte and his desire and the fact that he always saw this player and was like, no, no one's using you right. Like I can use you right. And he's finally got him and he's allowed Lukaku to to take that step. It's one of my favourite sort of subplots to all this. And so seeing Lukaku being so genuine in his delight um, was really real. There was some other sort of players showing their delight in different ways. It's not, 
I don't know how to put this one delicately either, but let's say it did not parked unremarked, pass unremarked upon in Italy that um, Marcelo Brozovic was sharing some po- photos with very red eyes after, <laughs> after the title of track. Well, I have hay fever. I know yeah, all about exactly, red eyes. Exactly, me too. Me too at this time of year. But you, you, know, you know what? I, I think we're... Talking about Conte and a sort of situation in which everyone understands each other and you know, everyone feeling the love... It doesn't feel right. Do you think we need to drop some poison into the mix? <laughs> well, yeah, thank you for that. Um, and Nick has already mentioned the subplots. So we'll st- stick with the Italian Shakespearean theme. And uh, of course, one famous uh, figure, uh, lead character in some drama, might say, friends. Romans, <laughs> countrymen, well, not quite. I come not to bury into because I used to be the special one. And I wonder whether, and you've said already, the arrival of Jose Mourinho to Serie A almost overshadowed, or after a couple of days at least, Inter's um, title victory. What is it going to do? For, and it's not his first time, obviously, in Serie A, but what will it do for uh, not just Roma? Because I, I think almost Roma is a... Wherever Jose Mourinho goes, it almost seems as if the team that he's managing, certainly since his Chelsea success, is almost a side issue. It is the Jose Mourinho show in Serie A. How will that disrupt Antonio Conte, Inter and all the other rivals? But it's impossible not to think, isn't it? We've just this lovely chat about, oh, maybe Conte's mellowing and getting happier. <laughs> and you remember him and him and Mourinho and how they went on when they were in the Premier League. I mean, Indeed. it's been interesting because you sort of have all this, with both of them, actually, you have all this lore and these sorts of press conferences and moments and interviews which you half remember and then you go back and watch them. And the intensity of Conte in that interview, I think is with Des Kelly, um, where he's calling Mourinho a little man, which is right after Mourinho had um, dropped this very provocative, um, one thing I'll never do is is fix matches, which Conte was initially um, charged with and suspended for an accusal of failing to report a fixed match, not of fixing a match himself, failing mm. to report one. He was later absolved by the courts, had been absolved by this point and when Mourinho said it. So Mourinho was being very... Um, deliberately provocative. Yes, and um, and yes, Conte calls him a little man in that interview with BT, and I just think the intensity of Conte's—he's intimidating when he's like that. Um, yes, it was astonishing as a news story because nobody in Rome knew about it. It seemed like everyone was convinced that job was going to Maurizio Sarri. And nobody in Brighton knew about it. Nobody where I was. Knew that. <laughs> um, I am not based in Rome, but I do talk to people based in Rome. And um, nobody, none of the people who you would expect to have the finger on the pulse of that specific team and that situation knew about this one. They'd kept it very firmly under wraps. And it's like in isolation, that would be wow, what an amazing sort of story that you've kept under your hats. In the context of, Antonio Conte, who is this Juventus icon, has just broken Juventus' dominance by going to Inter and winning the league with them. And then the last man to manage Inter to a title, who happens to have a feud with Antonio Conte, shows up back in Serie A 
it just and immediately takes the headlines. I mean, the last two days, the front covers of every Italian sports newspaper, even some of the national um, non-sports papers, has had Mourinho's face on it. it As Michelangelo's it, David and all, all, all the rest of it. I mean, the thing that I can't get past with it, as you say, Nikki, in terms of drama... You know, when, when I saw it come up on, on Twitter, Roma's announcement, I was absolutely, you know, you, you can't fail to be excited by it. But that's the trick of it, that you've forgotten everything that happened at Tottenham immediately. Yeah. And the fact is that Mourinho is going to Roma now, a job that he never would have taken two or three years ago. Just like, you know, it's, it's a boost for him and it's a boost for Roma, just like it was a boost for Tottenham. So it enabled Tottenham to say, oh yeah, look at us now. We can get Jose Mourinho. Just like Roma can say, look at us now. We can get Jose Mourinho. Well, will it attract players like, to Roma like, though is the question. Well, they've not got bottomless pits of money. You know, mm. uh, that's that's a, a huge issue. That basically this team needs a bit of a rebuild, which kind of started before when they got rid of Nainggolan and Strokeman, when De Rossi and before that, when Totti re- retired and stuff. But, but it's hard to see where the spine is. And I, I don't think that's totally um, Paolo Fonseca, the, the outgoing coach's fault. He's had his good moments and he's had his less good moments. And I suspect there are a lot of people in Rome who would say that he and Thiago Pinto are mopping up the mess from Monchi, for example. But... Was that the previous coach? Uh, the previous sporting director. Right, okay. So it has gone back to Sevilla and done a very good job there again. But I, I just think it, it takes a considerable leap of faith to think that Mourinho can... I mean, let's take the idea of trophies off the table for a moment. I think he's going to need that Zero Tituli banner from, oh from, from, from Inter. And that's going to be thrown back in his face once or twice. But I, I just think it's, it, to, to imagine that he's going to even build some sort of foundation when he's very much a scorched earth kind of coach, it, it, it takes a bit of imagination to get there, doesn't it? Oh, I mean, I've already said this. Um, I, I think this is going to be a disaster. That's my honest um, right. expectation. I could be wrong. I've been wrong plenty of times before. I think oh, as, we a, all have. As, a, as a project for, for Roma, it feels like a disaster. You've already oh. sort of touched on it there Andy this squad is hugely bloated with players like Pastore who don't need to be there who are weighing down the wage bill I don't understand where the money's coming from I guess the idea is actually there's a bit of looking at Inter and saying well the star player for Inter was Antonio Conte so Mm. maybe our star player can be our manager Um, but again like on top of everything like Rome is such an intense football city. It has devoured managers, managers who have got, even ones with inbuilt goodwill, Roman managers um, like like Ranieri have had a really hard mm. time there because the atmosphere is so on top of you. Um, you look at someone who's a bit more tempestuous like Spalletti and for a while it was great for Spalletti to be fair, but by the end, my God, his relationship with Totti, his relationship with the media, it was toxic. And Mourinho... Embraces the toxic? Yes. Um, and maybe this will become one of those double negatives <laughs> where it will somehow fit together perfectly. But as you said as well, I mean, he's provoked that fan base in the past. The Zero Tituli comment was very much aimed at Roma Ranieri, when he was in yeah. um, Whether or not 
I mean, the initial reaction in Rome is they're delighted with it and they don't care. And if he comes in and, and wins for them, they'll be very happy with him. But whether or not there are old boons that could yet reappear, it's going to be it's going to be a fascinating watch. Kick balls up and fall down and wait for the medical department. And I think nobody should give credit from from what they did. It's exciting if um, at this stage of the season when a league still has some business to be settled, as in La Liga. Any idea what's going to happen in terms of that league, Andy? Because it looks like Atletico are still the team to beat. Well, we're going to find out a lot this weekend because Mm. on Saturday afternoon, we've got Barcelona versus Atletico at 3.15. Sunday night, we've got Real Madrid versus Sevilla. So basically, the top four are playing each other. Now, this would have been the ultimate weekend had Sevilla not lost at home to Athletic Bilbao on Monday night because then we would have had three points between the top four, which would have been amazing. Now, Sevilla, they're in a position, I think, especially with the week Real Madrid have had and how weary they look. Sevilla are still in a position to be kingmakers in a sense they're playing with house money just as they always have been because they qualified for the Champions League definitively mathematically a couple of weeks back and you know it's I think underlines what a good season they've had and what an amazing job Julian Lopetegui has has, has carried on doing but it it was disappointing that Athletic who've really got nothing to play for went there gave them a difficult game they beat Atletico the other week and, you know, talking of kingmakers, they're having an interesting influence, Athletic, on the on, on the title. And then, as Sevilla were banging on the door in the final 10 minutes, they break away and the inevitable, the brilliant Iñaki Williams comes on for what is 191st consecutive Athletic game, as David was saying the, the, the other week, scores a brilliant winner. They get a win that they don't really need, but it it puts a massive banana skin in the title race. Now, of course, people in Catalonia have already been saying, well, you know, Sevilla aren't really motivated to go and do anything at Real Madrid now because it's really unlikely that they win the league. I'm not sure it works like that at all. You know, Sevilla have taken every game as a challenge, as an opportunity to get better. They're having an incredible season and... You know, I, th- I think being a kingmaker is quite a worthy thing as well. But I th- also I think beating be really Real important. Madrid, yeah. kingmaker or not, that's the biggie, isn't it? Totally. And oh, what people were saying about Sevilla earlier in the season when they were doubting their title credentials is they can't beat anyone any good. Well, they proved that wrong when they went and beat Atletico. Now, I'm not sure a lot of people, me included, have never believed, even when they've got three points from the top, that they're really genuinely in the title race. And I don't think they've been sitting in the, the, the changing room going with Lopetegui going, yeah, we can be champions, lads. I, 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 don't, I don't think there is that. But I don't think there's a, there's a lack of motivation going into this. No, I think what Dustin just said is, is, is Bob on. Like, I think like when you've got the chance to go and beat Real Madrid late in the season and yeah, the, the title race I think has never been the priority, but they're in the picture still. It's not like they're mathematically out of it. No, so, it's true. So why would you run up the white flag for that? It doesn't make sense to me. I think it's... And it's not, their, it's not the club's attitude. It's not the club's way of, 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 of being. I mean, it, it does say above the top tier and the bottom tier on the North Stand, they say that we never give up. 
<laughs> like, you know, the players see that every single game. And, you know, it says we never give up on, on the neck, on the back of their shirts. So they mean it. And they've, they've got so many of those type of players, um, you know, be it um, Jules Koundé, who's now one of the best centre-backs in the world, be it Lucas Acampos, who's the heart and soul of the team, but doesn't need to do it all on his own anymore because it's a really, really good squad. I think as well, the interesting thing and something that I think is an amusing idiosyncrasy in this is the fact that Barcelona are going to be all in for this. They will feel this is their opportunity to beat Atletico and get themselves to what looked like an improbable title. The fact is, if they take points off Atletico this weekend, beat them or draw, and Real Madrid win out, Real Madrid the champions, Mm -hmm. and essentially they've done them a (laughs) favour. Do you know what I love about this? Uh, the fact that this is how a league season is supposed to end. Exactly. You know, to the exactly. very last moment, to the last kick of the ball. Exactly. It's so rare. Like uh, La Liga actually gave an international press conference yesterday for over 100 journalists on, oh my God, look at the end of this season. <laughs> <laughs> and they got on Javier Mascherano. They got on uh, Diego Martinez, the um, the coach of Granada. Uh, they got on the sporting directors of Betis and Real Sociedad because they feel it's newsworthy. And they're right. Mm-hmm. It is newsworthy. And, you know, especially coming out of the Super League chat, this idea that even in this, as Nikki describes, unusual situation, for us to be in an environment where really the, you know, it's only really the Bundesliga and the Premier League that are, are closed. That, you know, we've still got a title race with up to four teams in these other leagues. And it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, Atletico have had their luck in the last couple of weeks. They've not had a brilliant second half to the season, but the things that have really gone for them, Granada going to Camp Nou and winning, which it seems like so much has happened since a week ago, a week ago, that that Barcelona won it up. Granada come back in the second half. 39-year-old Jorge Molina scores the winner. 39. Like he appeared on screen for his post-match. And my wife, sometimes you know you need someone outside the bubble to like clarify football stuff. And she said, that guy's a player. <laughs> she thought she thought he was like the sporting director or, or, or something like that. And so Molina, just after his 39th birthday, scores the winner. And then Atletico go to Elche last weekend. And Marcos Llorente scores, of course he does. And then at, at the end... Kieran Trippier gives away a free kick. You know, it's a kind of dubious free kick. The ball comes in. Marcos Llorente himself goes to head it out, realises he's mistimed his jump, handles the ball, and then does that Stephen Taylor on the line against Newcastle thing, pretends he's been hit in the face (laughs) to try and get away with it. Now, obviously, VAR figures it out. We live in an age where there are 25, 35 cameras in the stadium. You're going to get busted. Anyway, the delay is enough to put off Fidel of Elche, who are trying to get out of relegation trouble. He hits the post. Simeone goes nuts in the touchline. Atletico are still top and they've still preserved that advantage. So, they're kind of in the driving seat, but Barcelona away is a mountain. I don't think you can get away with that. And the way they've played in the second half of the season, I don't really feel confident that they can go there and get a result. Well, as we wrap up that conversation, let me just say, age ain't nothing but a number, uh, a number 39. <clears throat> 
it's a time for you both to recommend a game of the week for us after some a really exciting week of football in Europe. Let's face it. I'm going to say, follow that. Andy? I'm going to go to Germany. Saturday afternoon, Dortmund versus Leipzig. It is huge. Now, we talked about inadvertent favours. Um, if Dortmund can beat Leipzig, not only will they be doing themselves a massive favour in terms of they've got themselves back in the Champions League place, they're only one point behind fourth place Eintracht Frankfurt now, two points behind third place Wolfsburg, so they need to win this. Um, Dortmund hate Leipzig as well, I think, which is worth pointing out. They can basically make buying the champions while they're still on the bus on the way to the late game. So, you know, a few cans on the way to the game. Why, why not, eh? And it looks like Erling Haaland will be fit to help them do that. And Jaden Sancho's feeling it again. And Nicky? Well, there isn't a tighter race anymore in Italy, but the top four races, very, very spicy. It's unbelievable. You've got um, Milan, Juventus and Atalanta level on points. Napoli, two points behind them. And then Lazio, who are five points back, but have a game in hand. So it's going to be so, so tight. Um, thinking that only three of those teams can get a Champions League spot. Obviously for Milan and Juventus, the pressure is highest. Milan, because they were top of the table for most of the season. Juventus, because they're Juventus and they have Ronaldo on the books. And can you imagine Ronaldo being told as he nears his 37th birthday, we're off to the Europa League next season. Oh, no. <laughs> well. I cannot imagine that. Well, Juventus hosts Milan this weekend. So we are going to get one of those teams, or maybe both of them if they draw, is going to have a setback this weekend. It's going to be such a, such a pressured game for both teams. I think it's got to be my game of the week for sure. Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, <laughs> Jose Mourinho. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.